Hello. Welcome to the Bore You to Sleep podcast. The podcast that will hopefully help you get to sleep. I am going to read an open source book, one that is not particularly interesting, but one that is hopefully boring enough to get you to sleep. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? I know there have been times in my life where I've struggled with sleeplessness, which is why I strive to help people everywhere with theirs. I'm proud to have partnered with a new sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist, which doesn't take long at all. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counselling done securely online. You can schedule weekly video or phone sessions in the comfort of your own home. You can also log in to your account anytime and send a message to your counsellor when you need. You'll have access to a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's counsellor network which may not be locally available in many areas. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change counsellors if needed. Visit trybetterhelp.com forward slash bore you to sleep. That's trybetterhelp and join over 500,000 people taking charge of their mental health. Special offer for Boy to Sleep listeners with 10% off your first month at trybetterhelp.com forward slash you to sleep. Tonight's reading comes from Letters to a Housekeeper by Jane Prince. Published in 1917, this book looks at the different aspects of tending to a house, written in the form of letters. My name is Teddy, and I aim to help people everywhere get a good night's rest. Sleep is so important, and my mission is to help you get the rest that you need. I am grateful that you have chosen this podcast to assist with your sleep. It is designed to play in the background, where you can choose to either focus on it or let your mind wander off. Special thank you to two listeners who became sponsors of the show during the week. Your financial support is extremely appreciated and allows me to keep bringing out more episodes. Thank you to Adam Pulitzer for becoming a sponsor on Anchor. I'm glad you and your partner are getting the sleep and the rest that you need. Also, thank you to William Scully for becoming a sponsor on Patreon. Your continued support is appreciated. If you do find the podcast beneficial... There is a small but hugely helpful favour that you can provide. Please share the podcast with a friend if possible. Kindly leave a review in your podcast app. 
There are a lot of people out there who are struggling with sleep, and my goal is to help as many people get the sleep that they deserve and need. If you would like, you can also say hello at boyytosleep.com where you can support the podcast. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram at boyytosleep. Letters to a Young Housekeeper Chapter 1 Economy in the Household Dear Penelope, You have no idea how your plaintive little wail in the form of a letter went right to my heart or what memories long forgotten it brought back to me of my early married life. You are perfectly right in thinking that I too had my experiences and I am so pleased that you came to see me to see if I could help you by recalling what I actually went through myself and what those experiences, almost tragic to me at the time, brought about in the way of remedies. I have no doubt that it will seem like a leaf out of your own book when I tell you that when we began housekeeping I started, as a matter of course, in about the same way of living that I had been accustomed to in my mother's house. This was my standard, and I knew no other. What was my horror to find, when the end of the month came, that I was taking so much for table expenses, that we had little left for anything else? This discovery nearly reduced me to tears, for we had both been brought up as you have, with a great dread of living beyond our means. Our first thought was to move into a house with lower rent, but after considering the question from all points of view, we decided to remain where we were and find some other way of cutting down our expenses. This was a difficult problem for anyone so inexperienced and who had never had to think much about economy. But it was the very same problem that you are facing in very much the same way. And I did just what you are doing, consulted a friend in whom we had confidence and who had years of experience. This consultation encouraged me to feel that there were many changes I could make in our way of living and I was honestly amazed to find how much that seemed necessary for the table. Just because I had always been accustomed to it was not necessary at all, but that one was quite as well off without it. I came home full of enthusiasm to see what I could do. Then came a serious settling down to the subject and a careful looking into ways and means. Together, my husband and I talked over his income and decided what proportion we should allow for the table. The next month was to be a practice month, carefully watching how the money went 
in order to make a plan for other months. How interesting it seemed. It meant that I had a vocation as well as my husband, that, by careful thought, I could make him feel that it was worthwhile to work hard if he earned went just as far as it could, and if when he came home tired, he found my part attended to so well that the home was comfortable and serene. For why, if he went faithfully to his business daily, as a matter of course, in order to give me the wherewithal to run the house, should not I do my part as seriously and faithfully? From that time, economy and the management of the household took a new interest, and what had been drudgery became a fascinating puzzle. I plunged into the study of good cookery books, learning all I could about the different cuts of meat, how to tell good fowl, etc., so that I could choose well and make the money go as far as possible. In this search, I discovered that cheaper cuts of meat are sometimes the most nourishing and can be made tender by long cooking and very palatable in various ways. I also learned a great many different recipes for cooking the less expensive vegetables and serving them in an attractive way to give variety with the least expense. I then started with my practice month in this way. I bought groceries in small quantities, only as much as we needed for a few days at a time, asking the price of things and keeping an account of them to check off with the bill when it came at the end of the month. Bills are a torment with a small income, so while I found the bills for staple groceries, ice, milk, almost a necessity, I paid cash for all other articles of food, that is, meat, vegetables, fish, eggs, butter, etc. I went to market two or three times a week buying and paying for everything on the spot, and seeing everything weighed and measured that was sold in that way. At the end of this practice month, I made a list of what we had used in groceries, ice and milk, and also added together all the cash spent on the other articles of food. With the grocery list in hand, at the beginning of the second month, I laid in a complete supply of groceries for the whole month, keeping it in a storeroom and giving out each morning enough for the day's needs. Of course, some months we used a little more, some a little less, but it averaged pretty even and was a good guide. I laid in laundry soap by the box, because to keep a box ahead, if you can, is the best economy, for it lasts twice as long as if it is stacked on the shelves with spaces between the cakes so that it can dry thoroughly before using. The amount of groceries, milk and ice we should use per month 
having been decided upon as nearly as I could. We divided the cash I had spent on the other food during this practice month by thirty, to see what allowance this would give me per day. Then when I went to market, I took with me in my marketing purse only the exact sum we allowed for the number of days for which I was marketing. Otherwise I felt sure I should spend too much, as the markets are so tempting and human nature so frail. Luxuries we did not have. We were young and did not need them, and we have never regretted that we saved them in order to have them in our old age. Finding fancy groceries expensive, I did not buy them, but tried to put the money we had allowed for ourselves, for the table, into nutritious food. Before going to market, I used to make a rough outline ahead of the meals and take with me a list of what was needed for them. One is much more apt to have variety by thinking ahead, and taking a list to market is an economy, for while one may change it after getting there and substitute one article of food for another, still there is less likelihood of getting unnecessary things. Money spent on a few good cookery books is well spent, for without their suggestions one is apt to fall into a rut. And this the family cannot forgive. No cook left to herself does her best. She needs constant supervision, to be told a little more salt here, more sugar there, slower cooking, etc. And also to be praised for what is good. If the praise is not given, the cook gets discouraged. If mistakes are overlooked she gets careless. As some cooks don't take correction pleasantly, however well given, you will find that it works best to give it at the end of your morning talk, when all the ordering is finished. In the beginning with a new cook, it is well to explain at once to her that you want her to lay aside everything that is left over if only a tablespoonful putting it into the wire safe or refrigerator for you to decide about the next morning. This is not generally done by American housekeepers, so that, at first, cooks are apt to think you are mean unless you explain to them cheerfully and pleasantly that it is in order to have a greater variety and that this is one of the reasons that the French crockery is so good. You'll find in some of your recipe books about the French pot au feu, and can learn from this how to manage your own soup pot, using the bones left over from roasts, to start a stock and varying this soup each day with leftovers such as even a tablespoon of peas or spinach, or string beans, tomatoes, shreds of lettuce, or creamed oyster plant. This may not sound especially good for you, 
but my cook now makes soup that surprises me by their good flavour and variety in just this way. These leftovers also make good salads, sometimes the basis being potatoes, to which is added a few beets, a little shredded lettuce, or in addition some meat chopped up, each thing being so small a quantity for itself in any one dish. Thus a hearty and good salad, or a hot dish is evolved from what many people allow to be thrown away. I would advise you to study some of the scientific diet menus that are published now, and find out the relative values in nutriments of the different foods. Among the ideas of value to you, you will discover that there are many foods, such as cheese, peas, lentils and beans, which can take place of meat. As for example, one pound of cheese equals two pounds of beef in nutriment. Eloise is at my elbow, imploring me to stop writing and give her some advice about her dress for Mrs. Blake's fancy ball, so I mustn't run on any more. Don't hesitate to tell me anything that troubles you, for it will be such a pleasure to me if I can help you. Very affectionately yours, Jane Prince. Chapter 2 The Budget Dear Penelope, Your letter came this morning, and you needn't apologise at all for writing me again so soon for I am always delighted to hear from you. It is very evident that you have an attack of the blues, so I am writing you at once, now that I have a little spare time, to see if I can't help you out of them as quickly as possible. Being terribly busy this week, you must forgive me. If I plunge at once into the subject and end when I have said my say, without any bits of gossip to enliven the letter, I will tell the girls to write you all the latest news. It isn't at all surprising that you feel as though economy were drudgery when you are simply trying to live on as little as you can with no other object in view. What Dr. Richard Cabot says in his book, that you and I read together, is so true. Work is doing what you don't enjoy for the sake of a future, which you clearly see and desire. Drudgery is doing under strain what you don't now enjoy and for no end that you can appreciate. Now that you can tell me you have started the plan of laying aside a certain sum for marketing and finer works well, and that it is interesting to see how far you can make a particular sum of money go in this department, I am encouraged to do some more suggesting along the same lines. I would advise you to take a quiet time when your husband is not tired, and together think carefully over what all your other regular expenses are, making a list of them 
something like this. Rent, service, lights, fuel, ice, milk, cab and car fare, doctor's bills and medicine, postage, incidentals, presents, travel, charity, marketing, groceries, your dress, your husband's clothes, amusements. Some of these items, such as doctor's bills and medicine, belong to the unexpected and you cannot make allowance for them. Others, such as light, fuel, milk, etc., after some experience, you can make an approximate allowance for. But there are some, such as rent, service, charity, dress, etc., that you have under your control, and for which you can make a definite allowance. Now let us see if we can't turn drudgery into pleasant work. You have already put aside a definite sum for marketing. Decide also upon a definite sum that seems reasonable and liberal for you both. For some of the other accounts that are under your control, and think what fun it would be at the end of the month to surprise your husband with savings from any of these accounts and occasionally to use this money for a little spree, which you can both enjoy, and for some much-needed article for one of you or for the house, or else put it into a nest egg for your future. You'll find that you can do this if you cut your garment according to your cloth. Of course, in order to know just what you have saved on any one item of your account, you would have to keep a careful record of everything that you spend. And this you can do only by carrying a list with you when shopping and writing down at the time the cost of everything you buy. At the end of each month, separate these expenditures, whether paid for by cash or cheque, into their separate items, adding all of one kind together under one head thus. Keep this statement somewhere, either in the back of your account book or in the blank book kept for the purpose, so that you can always tell at a glance how much you have spent any month on any one item. This memorandum is very important and should be a great help to you, for after several months of careful watching, you will begin to know about how much you really need for your different regular expenses. Sometimes after looking over the figures, you are led to feel that you have spent more than you ought to on one account, sometimes on another, and then the accounts have to be gone over to see how far or how much you have been careless. Even now I find it of use to look back on this memorandum when money seems to be going a little faster than it ought to. Each family has to decide for itself what proportion should be allowed for these different expenses. 
but with your income of $2,200 a year, it is safe to allow 50 cents a day per person for all food. The house rent, so businessmen say, should not be more than a quarter of one's income, if possible, a little less than that. Neither of you will feel happy. I know unless you lay aside something for your church interests and also to help. If only a very little, some of the public-spirited efforts for good. You can't improve on the biblical proportion of a tenth of one's income for this, or more if you are prosperous. Some people could get almost that from the waste in their households. You can see how you could enjoy giving when you knew just what you had to give and were not worried with indecision. Above all things, be very frank with each other in money affairs. Lack of this frankness is sometimes responsible for a man's getting into debt because he can't bear to deny his wife what she wants, and she doesn't know that he is living beyond his means to get it for her. I hope you won't think me cruel when I advise you to keep away from shops, unless you have something to buy. In fact, waiting until you have quite a list, for if one doesn't see the fascinating things, one doesn't feel the need of them. Bargains are a snare and a delusion, and depend upon it. One spends less money by getting something at its regular price when one actually needs it than in getting something very cheap to lay by for a possible need which may never come. I can understand your feeling perfectly well that economy seems so mean but all danger of its being mean is removed if you waste nothing on yourselves or your household in order to be able to do something better or wiser or more generous with your money. We have nothing but admiration of the French thrift and why should not we Americans follow their example? You may have an income of your own some day and I shall venture to advise you about that if even your beloved husband of yours is looking over your shoulder. I hope you won't fall into the mistake on account of the love and confidence you have in him of putting it into the common purse for regular expenses. It doesn't reflect at all on that confidence to keep your own accounts separate from his. The most devoted of husbands and wives often differ in their ideas of what they want to spend money for, and many a good and kind husband would soon begin to feel a right over his wife's money if it went into the common purse, so long as he was spending it conscientiously in the way he thought would bring her the most comfort. In the first glamour, you can imagine how a wife would enjoy the sacrifice of giving freely all her possessions into her husband's care to control as he thought best. 
but later she might awaken to such a sense of the responsibility that the possession of money entails, that she would feel that she ought to decide for herself how it should be spent. To make the change, then, would be likely to cause hurt feelings, or even a misunderstanding. For a woman to keep her accounts separate need never interfere with her helping out at any time when she saw the need of it, and that would be a genuine pleasure. If there is anything else you want to talk over with me, now is the very best time to write. For all my children are going off on visits, and the house will seem so lonely that I shall be more glad than usual to devote some of my time to you. Very affectionately, with apologies to Tom for the last part of my letter, your friend, Jane Prince. Chapter 3 Made of All Work Dear Penelope, your ears must have burned this morning, for I have been thinking so hard of you. It is an entrancing day after a storm, and the sound of the slow, dreamy washing of the waves on the shore, as I sit here knitting on the piazza, seem to carry me far away from everything about me to your dear self. The girls came home yesterday from visiting Mrs. Gardiner, with all the latest news of you, how sweet and pretty your surroundings are, and best of all, Tom's devotion to you and your happiness. Spoony, they called you both, but never mind, what do they know about it? You and I understand, that is enough, isn't it? Your little message to me showed that there was one annoyance, weighing on you in the midst of all this bliss. The undercurrent of worry from signs of discontent in the kitchen. When everything is so bright and pleasant around you, and you are so happy, why can't the maid feel so too? I am afraid it will be many a long day before I can go down to see you, but I am so glad I have my hands and eyes, and they shall be devoted to you, dear child, this morning. The more I think about the apparent discontent of your present maid, the more do I believe that it is because you do not realise that a maid of all work cannot do all that you expect her to do, and also give the finishing touches that give charm to the home. I know how you love everything to be pink of perfection, and it isn't necessary for you to lower your standards of refinement of living, only to remember to be content to live more simply or informally and that all the pretty little touches must come from you. I have dined a number of times with a young couple where the wife, accustomed to servants before her marriage, did most of the housework, including the cooking, and only had a woman come in for the rough work, sweeping, etc., 
and to wash the dishes when she had guests. The table always looked refined and sweet, and the little apartment made you feel at once the interested touch of the family. So don't be discouraged because, after your servant does, everything looks crooked and the rooms have a neglected appearance. It is simply because you are asking too much of your maid, who has all she can do in taking care of the practical side of the housework. When I spoke a little while ago of living more simply, visions came before me of your wedding day and the room that looked like a miniature Tiffany's, spread out with your wedding presents, silver, cut glass and ornaments, and then I thought of your little maid and how impossible it would be for her to keep the silver looking as bright as it should with everything else she has to do, and how discouraged she would be at the very thought of it. So my advice to you is to put all your silver away that you do not need until you have enough servants to keep it bright without overworking them. Your dining room will look much prettier with a few bright pieces than overladen with silver that is dull and gives the impression of careless housekeeping. You must remember that each of the servants you have been accustomed to had her own special part of housework to do and plenty of time to do it in. It isn't so much with the maid of all work she has so much to do that you really have to choose what of the lighter work you will find the pleasantest to perform and do something yourself in order to make her burden easier and have your rooms look alike and attractive. Suppose you decide to make up your own beds, do the dusting and attend to the lamps. That is all good exercise and you can wear a pair of gloves to keep your hands nice while you are working. You can manage in this way. If the maid gets up at 6.30, dresses, throws her mattress over the foot of her bed, and opens her window to her room, she can be ready to start the kitchen fire. If there is a coal range and put on the cereal, which has been cooked the night before and is much better for long cooking, by seven o'clock. She can then go into the parlour, draw up the shades there, and in the dining room rebuild the fire as if it has been used, and go over the floor with a dustless mop. After that she can set the dining table and cook the breakfast. You will have to put your beds to air yourself before you leave your room. When she has put the last of your breakfast on the table, you can wait on yourselves, leaving her to get her own breakfast. Just here, I must speak to you of the loneliness of the maid of all work, having all meals by herself. Because when you think of this, and know that many of them never sit down to their own table, I know you will try to encourage yours to take proper and regular meals, 
and will see that the kitchen is made a home-like place for her. And that concludes tonight's readings. I hope you're feeling a little drowsy, and if you're not quite tired yet, you're always welcome to listen to another episode. In the meantime, I'll be working on bringing you another episode very soon. Good night.